You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, in our last lecture, we began to discuss Isaiah chapter 54. Now, we've got a lot to talk about, so let's go ahead and get started. Now, if you recall, we had mentioned that St. Paul was talking about Isaiah chapter 54 in the fourth chapter of his letter to the baptized in Galatia. Remember what Paul had said, that Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Why? Well, Paul says, because it is written. Now, here's where he quotes from Isaiah 54. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. Likewise, we had also discussed how in the days of St. Paul, in the days of Isaiah, even in the days of Luther, the days that we live now, that we see times when the church is shrinking, in which the church does not even seem to be pregnant at all. We look around and we do not see growth. We see churches that are dying, shrinking. We see churches that are closing, steeples that are crumbling. But yet we look for those birth pains, the labor pains that come upon us that we have in this life, the trials, the troubles, the affliction, the suffering, in which God promises to work together for the good, for those who love him that he is taking us, that he is making us into his holy people, his holy bride. And he promises us that there will be many children. We may not see it now. We may not even know that we are pregnant with many children. But yet it would be in the future, at other times where God promises that these things will be seen. It might not be in our generation. It may be in the next generation. And as Luther talks that... The gospel is like a rain cloud that comes for a season, and it waters on the land, and then it moves along to another place in order to water and to provide the growth. But the church is the barren woman that both Paul and Isaiah are talking about. That's the people of God. That is the kingdom of God, the place where God reigns through his word. The gospel is preached, and it's through that gospel that children are born from above. It is that word of God with the spirit, with the water, that brings the new life and the new birth. So the church is the barren woman and the synagogue is the married woman. Of course, in the days of Paul, it seemed like the synagogue was the one who had many children and was pregnant with many more. The church was the minority, the remnant Now, again, as we said last time, externally, the synagogue appeared in much more splendor than the church. But yet, 
there would be a multitude of children coming from the nations, that this message of the gospel would spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, that earthly Jerusalem thought that she had Yahweh as her husband, but in fact it is heavenly Jerusalem that has the bridegroom. Yet it is God's kingdom that is a spiritual kingdom. It comes through the power of the Holy Spirit, who is poured out upon us through the Word. The Holy Spirit does not work apart from the external Word. It is a spiritual kingdom, and the Holy Spirit works through bringing faith in the preached message of Christ. Faith comes through hearing the Word. Now, earlier in Galatians chapter 3, Paul had written and said, Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Later on in chapter 4, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of the woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now again, that's adoption by grace. For Christ himself is the only begotten Son of God, of the same divine essence as the Father, eternally begotten, God of God, begotten, not made, true God of true God. He is very God of very God. But yet we are born from above. We are born by the Spirit, born by water. We are baptized into the name of Christ. We become children of God through adoption by grace. So you see this this whole image of marriage, the image of the fruit of marriage being children, children of God, those who are born into God's kingdom. Through the birth of the one Son, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin, Then comes the rebirth of many sons. Now, this is the theme and the image that is depicted throughout the book of Isaiah. Recall with me Isaiah chapter 7. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, of course, Emmanuel means God with us. Later on in Isaiah chapter 9, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Also remember with me that in chapter 8, bridging 7 and 9 together about the son, this is where we are told that Emmanuel means God with us. And this is where we are also told to behold, I and the children whom Yahweh has given me are signs and portents in Israel from Yahweh of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And as we said, that was quoted of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 2. Later on in Isaiah 44, the Lord says, I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. Of course, this is the father talking to the son. Or in Isaiah 53, Yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him, that is the son. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of Yahweh shall prosper in his hands. 
And then, of course, here in Isaiah chapter 54, later on at verse 13, we will hear these words. All your children shall be taught by Yahweh, and great shall be the peace of your children. And of course, this chapter opens with these words, For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married. Why? Well, because. Because you will be spread abroad to the right and to the left. And we are comforted. God's people, the desolate one, the shrinking one, the afflicted one, the one who is hated and despised by the world, and we are told, fear not. Be not confounded, because you will not be disgraced. Because you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood, you will remember no more. Because your maker is your husband. Yahweh of hosts is his name. Of course, that's the image of marriage that Paul will use in Ephesians chapter 5, that Christ gave himself up for the life of his church. He gave up his life in order that we may have life in him, that we may be cleansed, that we may be sanctified, washed clean of all blemish, all stain, all sin, that he is the Prince of Peace, and he is the Everlasting Father. That is the husband of the bride, which is the church, of which there will be many children. Because your maker is your husband, Yahweh of hosts is his name. Because Yahweh has called you like a wife, deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. Because a brief moment I deserted you, but with compassion I will gather you. Now, this is the image of marriage, that God himself will take the bride, will cleanse the bride, will once again bring the bride back. Although throughout Isaiah we are told that the people of God, the bride, has been unfaithful, has followed after false lovers and committed spiritual adultery, which is idolatry, which of course is false worship. But the Lord is the one who calls us back to himself. Now, going back to Isaiah chapter 54, we pick up at verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent, and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. And your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Now, see this imagery that is given to us is an imagery of multiplication, that the people of God will grow, that there will be a multitude, that there will be many, many new converts, many new children of God. Now, let's take a look at this picture. Enlarge and be stretched out, and lengthen your cords and spread abroad. Here we have an increase in numbers, as the stars and the sand. Recall the promise to Abraham about his seed, about his offspring. First and primarily about Christ, the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head, and then the many offspring that will come from him. That as many as the stars are in the heavens or the sand on the seashore, so Abraham will have many sons. 
they will be sons of Abraham by faith, spiritual sons, those who believe in the promise of God and are justified by faith. The righteousness is imputed to them on account of their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, back in Isaiah chapter 49, thus the image here is about a tent, like a, a house that continues to increase, that you, you need to keep adding rooms. You got to put another addition on because you're going to have more babies. <laughs> That's the idea. More children are on the way. Enlarge this tent, stretch it out, lengthen your cords and spread it out abroad because there's going to be many, many more born in the future. Now, way back in Isaiah chapter 49, we had a similar picture. Remember it to verse 19. Surely your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land, surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants, and those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, The place is too narrow for me. Make room for me to dwell in. Then you will say in your heart, Who has borne me these? I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away. But who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. From where have these come? Well, it's the work of the Lord. It is the Lord who does the work, who brings many new converts, many new children for the kingdom of God. And for this reason, this is why the barren one is to sing out loud, to cry in joy for the greatness of the Lord in the spreading of his kingdom through the preaching of his word. Now, notice that this tent is to stretch out. That idea of the tent brings back the picture of God dwelling with his people. Emmanuel. The tent is the place of God's dwelling in the midst of his people. Now, back in Isaiah 16, we had a similar image. That a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. Now, of course, this is Christ, the true son of David, the one who sits on David's throne. And the image of a tent, the image of the house, the image of the place where the king dwells, the place where God is in the midst of his people. Now, this tent, back in Isaiah 33, Behold, Zion, the city of our appointed feast. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, an untroubled habitation, an immovable tent, whose stakes will never be plucked up, nor will any of its cords be broken. Now again, see the similarity in the picture, the idea of a tent, but here a tent that will not be moved, the idea of stakes, stakes that will not be plucked up, the idea of the cords being stretched out, but not broken. This is the church. This is Zion, the place where God dwells with his people. Now, notice that this tent expands. It continues to grow and increase. So it goes to the right and to the left. It goes to and fro in all direction. Why? Because your offspring will possess the nations. This, of course, is pointing to the conversion of the Gentiles that the apostles are sent out to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit 
all nations, and teaching them all that Jesus has commanded. Now, going back to Isaiah 54, picking up at verse 4. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth, and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. Again, this is a, a promise of comfort to the one who is distressed and downtrodden. Fear not. You have found favor with God. So the shame of your youth, that is not being married, that is having no children. Because remember, when the Lord God made the first woman, Eve, it was not good that the man would be alone, because with the man by himself there is no life. But with the gift of the wife comes life. And therefore, the woman who has this special ability that a man cannot have, the ability to bring forth life in the womb. Therefore, the woman has a unique vocation, and shall we say, a vocation that is far superior than that of a man, one in which she is wife that brings forth life as a mother. Therefore, to be a young woman... And to have no children, to not be married, is a shameful thing in those days. For instance, in Luke chapter 1, take Elizabeth for example. Luke writes, After these days his wife Elizabeth, now of course that is Zechariah's wife Elizabeth, the mother of John the baptizer, that after these days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. You see, she did not have children. She was barren. She did not have this son that is now given to her as a gift. So her shame is being taken away. The reproach is being removed. Back in Isaiah 54, not only do you have this shame of your youth, not being married, not having children, but also you have this reproach of your widowhood. That is a lack of a husband, being abandoned by Yahweh as her husband. Of course, in the days of Isaiah, Israel played the role of a harlot, of a whore, of one who went after many false lovers. This is earthly Jerusalem. She had committed spiritual adultery. She had been abandoned by Yahweh because she had separated from him. Thus, in her widowhood, lack of a husband, she's ashamed, she's confounded, she's disgraced, she is is without children, but no longer. All of that is now behind her, and now it is time to rejoice. Why? Isaiah picks up at verse 5. Isaiah writes, because your maker is your husband. Yahweh of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For Yahweh has called you like a wife, deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. Now, this is all done because of the work of the suffering servant, the one who has given up his life for the wife, 
the one who comes to die that we may have life in him, that by his blood we would be cleansed, that we would be reconciled to God. Thus, in Isaiah 49, this suffering servant is sent. This is the one who has the marriage feast, the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom. And he's sent in Isaiah 49 for this purpose, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, so that you should be my servant, the father says, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. So again, this is where you are to rejoice that the husband is back. The husband has taken back the bride, for he is the everlasting father. It's interesting to note here that the Hebrew word maker is actually a plural participle, that this should be literally makers in the plural which, of course, testifies to the triune God, the plurality of persons of the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, the Trinity, yet in unity, one divine essence. Now, we've talked about this many times before, but even the Hebrew word Elohim is a plural noun that that is referencing this plurality in persons, that God is one, one in divine essence, but yet three in person. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. The Father is Yahweh, the Son is Yahweh, and the Holy Spirit is Yahweh. So here we have a testimony, a witness to the plurality of persons, that your makers is your husband. So your makers being the triune God. Now, of course, here this word husband in the Hebrew is Baal. For Baal means a husband, a master, a lord. Of course, our English translation, we just go ahead and say husband instead of Baal because we don't want anybody to get confused. Well, This actually gives to us an insight of why it was so confusing to the people of Israel, that they're in the land of Canaan, and the land of Canaan says, we worship Elohim, the creator of all things, and we refer to Elohim as Lord, as master, as husband, which is Baal. That's why it was so confusing. It wasn't that the people of God actually thought that these statues were God. They knew that these statues were created things, created by their own hands. Again, idolatry is not the worship of statues. It is false worship, worship without God's word, without Christ. Therefore, without forgiveness, without salvation, without mercy, without the promises of the Messiah who is the husband who gives up his life for the wife. That is the church. But here we are told that the makers, the triune God, is your husband, your true Lord, your true master, the one who comes to take Israel by the hand once again and to restore her, to redeem her. So in particular, we're told that Yahweh is the Goel, that is the kinsman redeemer, the one who acts 
like a kinsman who is of the same flesh, of the same blood, of the same family, who purchases and buys back. He is the Redeemer, the only Redeemer. He's the only God, in fact, the God of the whole earth. Now, of course, that points to the fact that he will bring in the Gentiles, for he is the Savior of the nations, that the Gentiles will be converted and brought to faith. For he's not just a local deity like the pagans had, but he is the creator of all things. He is the God of all. First, he will call back his wife. That, of course, is Israel, the people of God. This is Jerusalem, the holy city, heavenly Jerusalem. So like a wife of youth, that is a young married maiden full of hope for many children. And of course, those many children will come flowing through the conversion of the Gentiles, that you will have to spread the tent out from the left to the right, that these people will come from all over. These children will be born anew to be people of God, to be brought into the kingdom. And how does this happen? Well, this happens when Yahweh calls. That is, his voice goes out. Again, this is a spiritual kingdom, and the spiritual kingdom comes when the Holy Spirit is poured out through the external word, through the voice of God, so that people would hear and have faith, that they would believe the promises. For it is the Holy Spirit who calls, gathers, and enlightens in one true, holy, Christian, Catholic, apostolic faith. That he is the one who brings in new life. He is the comforter, the ones who brings the word of comfort. Now remember how this passage began? Fear not. These are words of consolation. Why should you fear not? Because your makers, the triune God, is your husband. The one who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light where there is life, and there will be many children. Now, picking up at Isaiah 54, verse 7. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great mercy I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says Yahweh, your Redeemer. First of all, I want you to see this parallel that's taking place. You start off by saying, For a brief moment, I deserted you. Now the contrast. But with great mercy, I will gather you. Now see the contrast between deserted and gathered. And then the parallel goes on by saying, In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you. But... The contrast, with everlasting love, I have compassion on you. Now, notice the contrast, that I hid my face. Hiding the face is not a good thing. When God's face shines upon us, this shows forth God's favor. But when God hides his face from us, it is because of sin. But when God looks upon us in favor, in everlasting love and compassion... 
This is good news. When God gathers the deserted, this is good news. I want you to take the note here of this repetition with emphasis. And notice again this contrast between temporal, momentary, versus eternal, forever. That on the one hand, you have this desertion, this face being hidden, but this is for a moment. This is a small speck of time. But on the other hand, you have I will gather you, which is perpetual. It continues that with everlasting love and compassion, I will have upon you. This goes on forever, that you have the contrast between the temporal moment versus the eternal favor. This is very similar to Psalm 30, in which we are taught his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer Jesus Christ continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.